Today we are wrapping up a brief series on 2 John. And as Jill mentioned last week, the theme of this uh, very short letter is this inseparable relationship between truth and love. Truth and love are found together often in Scripture. The Apostle Paul tells us uh, that love rejoices in the truth, that we are to speak the truth in love to one another. And John, in his previous letter, tells us that we should love not in word or in speech, but in truth and action. Of this relationship between truth and love, Rowan Williams writes, that truth makes love possible and love makes truth bearable. Truth makes love possible and truth makes love bearable. I confess that uh, most of the time I hear truth and love together, I, I cringe a little bit because normally it has meant that someone's going to tell me something I don't really want to hear and pretend to be nice about it, which is to say that uh, I think often we focus our attention on uh, the love-making-truth-bearable part. Today, instead of talking about how love makes truth bearable, I want to focus on how truth makes love possible. Here's one way uh, to think about this. Love without truth is sentimentality. Uh, it's usually uh, intends to support and affirm, but in the end does more damage, I think, than, than good. No doubt we've all experienced some version of this, whether through a relationship that just can't uh, get below uh, the surface, uh, insincere or vague uh, positive praise from uh, someone at work or someone at school. Or maybe it's just kind of the vague cultural messaging that we can be whoever we want to be. A couple of years ago, Malcolm Gladwell produced a podcast for his, his podcast, uh, Revisionist History, uh, entitled King of Tears. It's one of my favorite episodes. Maybe you heard it. Uh, what Gladwell was trying to figure out in this episode is why certain songs make us cry. Why certain songs make us cry. His conclusion was that, by and large, the, the songs that overwhelm us uh, with, uh, with emotion uh, and with tears are country songs. The reason, according to Gladwell, uh, that country music makes you cry is that it's not afraid to be specific. In contrast to mainstream uh, rock and pop ballads, country music includes details of life. And it's the details that move us. Now, I'm not advocating for or against country music. You can figure that out on your own. But the reason I think details move us is that Love is often found in the details. In her wonderful book, uh, Make a List, which I think is just an, an absolutely uh, wonderful book about the spiritual benefit of making lists, Marilyn McIntyre lists what love looks like. Here's what she says. A seventh grade coach on Saturday morning, a night nurse changing bandages, a teacher tutoring at lunchtime, a monk at prayer, a husband brewing coffee at 6 a.m., a babysitter building a block tower, a policymaker who remembers the poor. What would you add to that list? One way to say that, truth is, that love is truthful 
is to say that love is specific. Love is in the details. Which means that in order to love someone, you, you have to know something about them, about their actual life, and then meet them where they are. You think about it. When do you feel loved? Is it when someone uh, sends you a generic card in the mail saying, thinking of you? Or is it when they show up with a pot of soup and homemade bread because they know you're going through something? And just the thought of uh, making dinner is too overwhelming. Is it when someone tells you that you are in their thoughts and prayers? Or is it when they are willing to sit down with you and listen to you? Or to maybe carry a part of the burden that you're carrying? Is it when a, a boss or a supervisor generically tells you, keep up the good work? Or is it when they sit down with you and give you good, specific feedback that helps you grow? What does love look like? When I was in fifth grade, my family moved to Seattle, which meant that I would be going to a new school. My older, and bro my older brother and sister uh, would be together at the junior high, but I would be kind of on my own at the elementary school. And I had never been new before at a school, and this school was much bigger uh, than my previous one. After dropping my brother and sister off every day, there was about a 30-minute gap between when we dropped them off and when my school started. And as a parent now, I know uh, it would have been very easy for my mom to drop me off a little bit early at school, uh, say, I love you, you know, kicking me out the door, and then get on with her day. I don't think I would have even known uh, the difference if she would have done that. Instead, sensing how anxious I was at being new and alone, she took me to McDonald's and bought me a cinnamon roll and sat there and talked with me every day until I made friends at school so that I could go early and wouldn't be uh, alone. It's such a small and really in the context of her love for me over the course of my life, a relatively insignificant thing, but it was specific. She got into the details and I felt loved. Notice that John does not issue an abstract command about love here. Notice that he doesn't say, you must love everyone either. He says, let us love one another. Let us love one another. He was talking to a specific community of people. In order to love as God tells us to love, we have to get to know the details of each other's lives and then meet each other there. In the words of Soren Kierkegaard, we have to love the ones we see. The problem with this, you know, is that it's really hard. I mean, it's much easier to love people in theory than in reality. It's much easier to love people universally than it is specifically. It takes courage, real courage, to get to know someone in their specificity. And it takes a great deal of vulnerability to let other people in on the details of our own life so that they can love us. The only way we're able to do this at all, John tells us in his previous letter, is because God loved us first. We love because he first loved us. 
And this is how we know what love is, because this is how God loves. Jesus is God's answer to the question, what does love look like? Jesus is God getting very specific. He gets into the details. Because of the incarnation, there is no part of human experience that is unknown to God. There's no part. I don't know about you, but this is just incredibly good news to me right now. Part of the difficulty, I think, of this pandemic is that so much of our lives are hidden from each other. And so I think many of us are suffering alone or maybe just genuinely or generally just feeling unknown right now. Many of us are exhausted and burned out. And what makes it worse is that it's hidden from each other and not because we're actively hiding but because we're just not used to being with each other in the ways, we're just, not, we're just not with each other in the ways that we're used to. The good news of the gospel, my friends, is that even when our lives are hidden from one another, they're not hidden from God. God sees us. God knows us. God loves us. As John says, the command to love one another, it's not a new commandment. It wasn't then, and it isn't now. But it is looking for new ways to be lived out. Wherever you are, wherever you go this week, you will have the opportunity to love the ones you see. When given the chance, remember, love is in the details. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh,